Hey y'all, this is Walker Lukens. Our episode has some intense discussions of mental health. If that is triggering for you in any way, then I suggest you sit this episode out. Otherwise, buckle up and get ready for... Let me explain to you what we do here at the Song Confessional. So, we record people telling us stories anonymously. We call these confessions. We give our favorite confessions to bands and songwriters who then turn those confessions into original new songs. On this podcast, you're going to hear the confession that inspired the song, the song itself, and then an interview with the songwriter. I'm sitting here with my favorite turtle in time. Tell him your name, turtle. What's up, guys? I'm Zach Catanzaro. What is a turtle in time? You know, like the video game from... Do you not remember the video game Turtles in Time? Is it a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game? Yeah. Oh, well then, I definitely played it. I yeah. just didn't remember the the underscore Turtles in Time. That's fair. I don't know why I do. I just, leading with that, I was like, is there some time-traveling turtle I don't know I about? I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I think we were talking about, like, seafood... And then I was thinking, we, you know, we're like, ah, oh, shrimp, that's not fun. Crawfish, that's my fiance. Uh, and then I just started, started thinking turtle about turtles. And I got to turtle in time, and I can't take it back. Before we move on, though, which Ninja Turtle were you? I feel like uh, outwardly I was Donatello, but on the inside I was Raphael. I'm going to cry because I think that's exactly <laughs> the same truth for me. I was definitely outwardly Donatello, but Hell secretly yeah. Raphael. But my neighbor, Ben Thurber... Got to be Raphael. Uh, ben, he's more of a Michelangelo. Well, you take that up with little Ben because <laughs> his parents bought him all the Raphael shit. Ooh. So I had no ground to stand on. Yeah. But I did have a pine tree in my backyard, so I did have a big stick. Hell yeah. And that's that was the best part about Donatello, is mm-hmm. like you could find a weapon anywhere. I wonder if all the little boys who his parents wouldn't wouldn't buy them like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle paraphernalia has to be Donatello. Just default Donatello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hell yeah. I actually, so I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles when I was a kid. And one of the reasons, uh, main reasons, besides the fact that they were badass and just the coolest thing ever, um, the place that I, my, my Taekwondo dojo, my sensei, trained the Turtles, the Foot Clan, Shredder, like they were all part of this little New Jersey martial arts pod that I was also a part of as a little kid. Whoa. Yeah. That is really cool. It was pretty cool. I like, I lived that life. (laughs) Dang, that's cool. What is, what is the name of this mini season we're in the middle of? We're on the third episode of 72 Hours in Newport. Uh, Last summer in the before times, we were, we were lucky enough to travel up to Newport, Rhode Island with Visit Austin. Um, And we got to spend three days just taking stories and eating seafood and listening to seagulls. It was pretty awesome. The caliber of the confessions was really amazing. And that's why we ended up making this mini season because we had so many just phenomenal confessions and a bunch of great artists who we got to make songs out of them. Today, we are featuring a Austin artist named Jake Lloyd. In July of this year, KTX named Jake Artist of the Month. His song Crossroading is currently just on rotation. It's a killer song. It's also licensed uh, by ESPN for a UT football commercial. So he's really getting getting his name out right now. Past few months have been good for him. Yeah, Jake's been having a moment. He, he makes R&B, alternative R&B, but he's a phenomenal singer and songwriter. He's partnered with this guy named DS2, and they 
are really prolific. He put out a record last year. He's put out an EP this year. He listed off a ton of projects that he's working on. Yeah, he stays busy. He he definitely is a hustler. He seems like he's always working and has been for a while. I mean, long longer yeah. than he's been on our radar, unfortunately. I, I mm-hmm. wish that I knew about him a few years ago. But yeah. for the last year or so, I've been hearing his name. And like you were saying, or like I was saying, one of us was saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> the past three months, it's been nice to kind of see that rise a little bit. I hesitate to do this in uh, interviews with artists, but I, I told him that his voice on this one song reminded me of Nate Dog, And then it led to, I, I, I hesitate to do that because I hate when people do it to me. And they say just the complete wrong thing. You're like, nope. It's not yeah. even that they say the completely wrong thing. It's just such a superficial way to engage with someone's work. Yeah, fair. To be like, it reminds me of this one thing. Yeah. You're like, okay. Yeah. But, but I did it. And then it led to this awesome discussion about uh, all the influences that Jake got from his parents. Mm-hmm. which I really love. You're going to learn all about Jake in this interview, I promise you. But before that, we got to hear this confession that inspired his song. This week's confessor stepped into our trailer with the fear that sharing her story could trigger a manic episode. At only 20 years old, she was traveling abroad in China. What began as a scary day for anyone in a strange new land ended with a hospital stay and a bipolar diagnosis. The real story is how she learned to live with it. Well, without further ado, here's this week's confession. Confession. You, um, you have an idea what you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Okay. Good. I, you know, I think, I think that it's something that's tied to a lot of emotion, and so yeah, I was thinking about a time when my life sort of changed trajectory, um, and thinking about when I was in college and I studied abroad. Um, and I went to China, and um, I was studying public health and global health, and I was going to this program where I'd be studying epidemiology, and then, you know, I had this whole plan and all this, you know, excitement. Um, a few days after I got there, the memory is kind of hazy, but I lost my wallet, and then I th- I started having these delusions that the uh, police were after me, and then um, start. I had to actually go to the hospital over there, um, so it was really scary. Um, Wait, and, so you lost your wallet? Yep. And then you started thinking people were following you? Yep. Wow. Okay. And then, I mean, it's kind. You know, that's kind of when I first was diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder. Wow. Um, so, yeah, just coming from an experience of being in college and thinking that was, my life was going to go one way and then, uh, you know, ending up in a very different situation and having to readjust. Um, then, then I, you know, I don't know. It's hard to tell the story because it's hard to remember sometimes. Sure. Um, yeah. Like well, so were you in the? Fuzzy. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm yeah, sorry. That's okay. you, you were having a manic episode. Yes. And so, well, yeah. So that's the deal, though, is that you you do black out. Yeah, it was really. Yeah, it's hard to remember the details, and then it's happened a couple other times, but mm-hmm. now you know things are going much better. Yeah. Um, it's like going on medication, and like hasn't haven't had any problems in the last five years. Um, but you've like had, you know, had to go through ECT a couple of times and, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think what um, I've learned is just to take care of myself. I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in, since 2011. Mm -hmm. And I just have to focus on sleep and taking care of myself. And um, and I think when I just kind of walked by and they were like, think of a story, I just thought of China, but then I realized that I don't remember very many details about it. So well, it's probably not a great story to no, tell. No, no, I, it, it, I think that... Um, you being willing to talk about this is uh, really um, could be really great because the, the the thing is that unfortunately we just hear so little about what it's like to have bipolar like from somebody who's actively managing it you know mm -hmm. and I think that uh, I mean I have some questions if you're willing to say more and yeah, if, you, if it ever gets to overwhelming like absolutely it's not that not don't no, no sweat off my back. But so, so you're in China and mm -hmm. uh, and you're like 2021. 20, uh, I was 20 years old. 20 yes. years old. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. And so, it, prior to that, I mean, did you were you diagnosed with like depression or anything? In high school, I had depression and anxiety, and then you know I had an eating disorder, and then. In college, I was on antidepressants, but it was really interesting, like looking back now, I can understand how a traumatic event can actually rewire your brain and trigger, you know, something like this to happen. In, in what was the traumatic event then? I think it was honestly the time change and losing my wallet, yeah. being in a new country where I didn't speak the language. Yeah, just intense culture shock. Yeah, which is... It's, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, so so how long were you there before this happened? Um, I think I was there only about a week. Wow. I mean, that I think your theory is spot on. Mm -hmm. And so so you lose your wallet and then you, you start suffering, you know, delusions of grandeur. Um, and so you thought you were being followed. Do you remember yeah. anything else? I remember that I actually c couldn't speak. I had... Um, was experiencing catatonia. Wow. Um, and I remember, yeah, I thought that I thought that WikiLeaks was my fault. That was around the time of WikiLeaks. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I thought I remember watching the news and just thinking that everything was my fault and everything. And that's also one of the signs is like thinking that everything is about you. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just it's just very interesting to look back and think of like how my brain was just malfunctioning <laughs> uh, yeah and and so and so you have this you end up in the hospital and and you know thankfully they were they knew what was going on the people well that's interesting they it, didn't really. really I was okay. in this hospital that was really fancy, like right in the center of Shanghai. Uh -huh. And this doctor was really nice, but it wasn't a psych hospital. It was like, I was in this room meant for women giving birth. Wow. And uh, they just put me on a lot of different medications and I don't really remember. I just remember sleeping a lot. Wow. But I don't, I don't really like to talk, I don't know, I don't really talk about this publicly. And I know that there's a great movement of, you know, reducing stigma and you know 
being open about these things, but it's still really hard. You know, I worry about my job and my family and just like being open about it. So yeah, that's why I, I, I think I'm not you. very good at telling my stories because I've never told, like really told it before. Mm -hmm. So I'm like all over the place and <laughs> so I uh, You know. shouldn't, so I am a little bit familiar mm -hmm. uh, and I also don't think that you're doing a terrible job <laughs> by any means. Uh, I have more questions if that's yeah. okay with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, so you came back and you're feeling, I'm sure, incredible amounts of like shame and embarrassment or something, right? Like, yeah, that's actually really interesting that you bring that up because um, I came back and I um, did actually have to get um, electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah, and that was in the August before I went before I was supposed to go back to school for my senior year. Mm. Um, so it's that's also what makes it hard to remember. Yeah. So then I remember um, telling a couple of my friends, you know, that I that this happened to me, but then I didn't tell somebody. I didn't tell one of my friends. And um, I went back to visit campus because I had taken the semester off. And this person, she was so angry at me that I didn't tell her and she called me a bitch and she was just so mad at me and then it was like there was just this division some of my friends took her side that she felt left out that she didn't know what happened and it was like oh my oh, seriously yeah so, so narcissistic. I still harbor some yeah so that was part of the difficulty of going back to um, back to school was um, just the way some people were supportive and some people were confused and some people were like, you didn't let me know that this happened to you and therefore we're not friends anymore, so. Well, and then you're like going through ECT, which then makes it difficult to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. And so, yeah. wow. And so you said though that, that you had a few more episodes. Yeah, so things, it's always seems to be around when there's a change in medication. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because with different than physical illness, with mental illness, it there's even more of a personal like treatment plan with medications. You're often on multiple medications and some of them have side effects that are not um, tolerable. So yeah, the other two manic episodes were around um, changes in my medication. Well, One medication I was on, which actually caused me to gain like 50 pounds. Yeah, isn't that lithium? Isn't that the one um, that gained all the weight? No, that's a good one, actually. <laughs> that works really well. <laughs> okay. But this one I was on, it was an atypical antipsychotic, and it uh, caused my eyes to roll back in my head. And uh, yeah, so that was annoying. So I stopped that, and I switched to another one. But then in the switch, I became manic again, and I had to um, undergo ECT again, actually. How did you know that you were manic? So it started out as, so people think of mania, they think of like being really happy and talking a lot and like being impulsive. But for me, it's being extremely irritable. It's like road rage times a thousand, and then just yeah talking a lot and also um the way that i talk is is very fast and it's like i can't get the words out fast enough yeah. um and then not wanting to eat or sleep 
um, and then not sleeping just makes everything worse um, and then so it, it kind of like progresses and then but it's interesting too because um, in order to seek help you need to tell the emergency room that you want to kill yourself even though it's not true because wow. they, you know you can't really be admitted if you're just if yeah. they see you as not a threat to yourself or danger to yourself so I had on numerous occasions or excuse me like on a couple of times when I've had these episodes I've had to basically lie and say that I wanted to kill myself so that I would go to the hospital do you have a support network that can be like oh hey, yeah you yeah. are manic right now I don't know if you know that but like you're showing all the signs yeah so um, I feel very lucky that um, I have a really great family and uh, wonderful friends. However, you know, in the beginning when I was first coming off of these episodes, you feel a little more scrutinized with the, like if you're, you know, excited about something and you talk quickly and they're like, mm, did you take your medicine? Wow. And now, so I'm five years out of the last time I've had an episode. I don't experience that um, as much, but I would say that yes, my family is able to see the signs and kind of call me out or be you know yeah they're really supportive I mean I think about people who are very creative mm -hmm. who do have you know maybe a mental health diagnosis and and like you have to ha kind of have that drive to you know, people who want to read this I'm gonna write this book it's gonna be all about me but yeah I can uh, I can relate to that like I remember feeling um, that you know everybody wanted to hear my story. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a one woman show and yeah, it's just it's interesting. Even like coming into this booth, I was like, mm, am I kind of am I becoming a little bit manic right now? Like what what am I doing? I'm, you know, telling people my story and I that I think that's part of why I shy away from going yeah. to meetings and that kind of thing is because talking about it sometimes can bring me back and like cause my wheels to spin but just thinking about a videotape of myself when I was in that place makes me cringe so yeah. much um, but yeah I definitely my my mom my dad my husband I've been with him for 12 years um, we've been married for less than a year but he's always been by my side and um, yeah. really 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 lucky to have good support and, and so you said you took one medication and it made your eyes roll back in your head yep you took another one and it made you gained 50 pounds um so a combination of of a couple made me gain like 50 pounds after college wow. and then slowly I've lost maybe about 40 of them wow, wow. but yeah it's uh, it's, it's really really sucks the, the medications the choices that we have and now I'm on lithium which has been around for a long time um, but it's it's it works with you really well yeah it really does I mean I have to make sure that I get enough sleep and I don't drink at all I haven't had a drink since 2011 mm -hmm. um, and yeah I have to just take it every day and and then I also take two others but um, but it's just like the, I've been on the right yeah, cocktail, yeah, shall we cocktail. say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so you said you've been, it's been like five years or so. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, and you've been with your husband for 12 years. I mean, do you guys think about having children or yeah, what is um, that like for you? That That's interesting you bring that up. We definitely do think about it. I'm really scared. Uh, I'm very nervous uh, about 
uh, postpartum psychosis. It's real. And, uh, and I think I'm also nervous because I know that after speaking with professionals that uh, the medicines I'm on are, are safe in pregnancy. There's like very small chance of congenital heart defects, um, but there's like a 90% chance that I would lose my mind and that would be bad for the baby. Yeah, um, sure. They think about like people who um, would judge the fact that I'm on these medicines and um, and also just getting enough sleep after the baby's born and yeah, I don't know, I like my brain is like, is this even worth it? But yeah. then all my friends, you know, having kids. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that honestly, I mean, I think that's how it happens, you know, as everyone around you starts doing it and you're like, oh shit, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have to be really careful and I have to get enough sleep. Um, and then of course the doctor's like, you should just get a, um, get a, a night nurse. And I'm like, that's expensive, but uh, yeah. will insurance pay for this? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that's where I'm at now. That's the next frontier. Um, but, um, the, only, the last thing I was going to ask you is just, uh, are there other people in your family who, who suffer from mental illness? Yeah, so that's interesting, too, because, um, you know, a generation ago, people were not as open about it, and yeah. there weren't as many diagnoses, so um, uh, there's definitely depression and anxiety in my family. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about, I actually don't know about bipolar disorder, but I imagine that, that people are, mm -hmm. um, and because it's like 1% chance that uh, that you're that would be from your family, you know, genetic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think that it just goes undiagnosed sometimes, and definitely in the past it was. Now here's My Polar by Jake Lloyd. For the very first time It's really hard to communicate But I'm studying something That'll make a world of difference While still being a world away I called mom, I called dad They told me not to stay out too late So I figured I'd do me some sightseeing Try my best to participate But something felt off As I walked along the street It felt as if I had somebody following me I think I'm speeding up Yeah, I'm about to hit my peak I think I said too much Even though it's hard to speak Hard to speak, hard to speak, hard to speak Hard to speak It's hard to speak Hard to speak Hard to speak Hard to speak On my head, feeling like they left me for dead. They said I came in going on about a wallet that fell off of my moped. Now, I usually keep cash in my socks, so it's weird, but hey, that's what they said. 
I really don't remember what happened I just blacked out and everything went red Now something went wrong And I wish I could have stayed Life just gave me lemons And I had to make lemonade It's just one chapter of life And I'm about to turn the page Yo, health is wealth Don't be afraid to get help Today I am uh, speaking here with Jim Eno. How are you doing, guy? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing, I'm feeling pretty good today. It might just be because, uh, I don't know. I have no explanation, but I'm feeling good. <laughs> I'm feeling good too. And I, you're right. I have no idea why. I, I, it's something about uh, feeling abnormally good in the time of COVID is like, it's just something I'm willing to take. I don't need to yeah. understand it, you know? Maybe it means it, it, we're, we're approaching the end, you know? <laughs> okay, dreamer. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, All right. we just heard My Polar by Jake Lloyd. Man, I love that song. What, what, do you, what do you like about that track? Yeah, it's a great track. I mixed it. I really love the, the rhythm section. The drums sound great to me. It has this really open feel to it. I think there's only, I mean, there's really just a couple of instruments on there. I love how Jake will sing more falsetto as the song goes along and then hits the chorus and it's almost all falsetto. So it gives you a good like vocal build from the verse to the pre-chorus to the chorus. I hadn't noticed until you pointed this out, but so much of the emotion in the song just comes from his vocal performance because it is a really sparse track compared to like the Band of Heathens track last week, which is so full, you know? Right. I'm wondering if you can take us through what it's like to mix a track you didn't produce or have any hand in recording. So, like, you get the files from the producer or the artist, and then what's the first thing you do after you put them into Pro Tools? Like, what do you do? Usually what I'll do is I will start listening as a whole, and... <laughs> Sometimes I'll just like put everything in, like everything in, and I'll just lay on the couch and like listen to it like three or four times. And then I'm like, okay, I think I have some ideas on, on this now, you know, because I, I can get a sense for what the producer and the artist were going for. So then I'll strip back and I'll go to the drums and I'll start listening to the tracks and seeing if they need any, any help, if they were recorded well. Um, there's certain like levels that I usually do, things like that. Oh, it needs a little compression, some EQ. And then I'll add the bass and then build up from there. And I'll usually get the instrumental track sort of hitting like, like I like it and then start adding the vocals in sort of slowly after that. That's really interesting to me. If I can paraphrase here, you basically start listening and then after you listen and you see if you have any ideas, then you just kind of methodically go through the rhythm track and then work your way up from there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I may have an idea like as I'm, I'm as I'm listening, like those 
three or four times, I'm sort of figuring out like my approach, like, okay, man, I really wish that the whole track was a little more pushed or distorted, or I really think this song would be cool if the drums were sort of back and we focused on the keys or, or the vocals and stuff like that. And with a track like Jake's, how long did it take to mix this? I mean, how many, how many hours does this work take? I mean, this track was recorded really well and there weren't a lot of instruments and we didn't have to go back and forth too much on mix changes. So I would say probably uh, five hours, I think. And so you sent them the first version of the mix, and then what were their notes? <laughs> uh, well, this was a little weird. Uh, on this one, I sent the mix out, and his feedback was, um, there is no pre-chorus vocal in the track. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so I went back and I looked, and I, I, I didn't get a pre-chorus vocal, but that being said, I probably should have listened to the rough and known that you know, the pre-chorus vocal wasn't in there. I just thought it was like a, a little break that was sort of moody, <laughs> you know. But no, there <laughs> was it. a vocal I was missing. So he sent me the vocal back, and I put that in, and I put a little treatment on it, and then sent him that version. And then, uh, yeah, I think he had a couple of vocal rides, and, and that was pretty much it. So it was a pretty pretty fun, pretty easy process. And when I talk about getting... Changes done. I'm I'm talking with uh, Danny, the producer. You'll hear all about Jake's relationship with his producer Danny, otherwise known as DS2, in my interview. 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 Is your real name Jake Lloyd? No, it's uh, my first name is Lawrence Lloyd. Is Mm -hmm. actually my last name. And how'd you? Who gave you that name? So it's a funny story. My dad is uh, Lawrence Lloyd Senior. And one day my dad was crying. The story is he was crying and my grandfather just told him, hush up, Jake. And he stopped crying. And ever since then, my dad has been Big Jake. When I was born, I became Little Jake. So literally, that's a a nickname my grandfather passed down. And I've been Jake my whole life. Like my mom doesn't even call me Lawrence. Like my name is Jake. Um, And so... So you so basically is like your first name. You've it's, always yes, gone with Jake. I, teachers in school call me Jake. Everybody has called me Jake. A lot of people don't even know my real name is Lawrence, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I always ask people where they got their name because yeah, you learn stuff like that. So so how did you start playing music? Was there a music person around you, a musician around you when you were growing up, or how, how did you start? playing music so it was really um music has been part of the li- my life for my whole life really growing up my grandmother played um piano in the church she was a um, she was the the music director at the church my dad is a singer um it's just something that's really been ingrained in me from from a young age um singing in church choirs and uh hating that but still continuing to pursue music is um Something I've always wanted to do, but yeah, it was it was always around, man. I have a lot of family members that that tried music and didn't really get as far as they would like to have have gotten in their career, but um, it's definitely a family a family thing tradition, I guess. I noticed on your social media that you have a pretty consistent collaborator. Who is that? Uh, that is 
Danny DS2 Saldivar, man. Uh, me and that guy, it's been a collaborative effort from about 2010. He's my producer. It's like a Justin Timberlake, Timberland sort of situation, like Neptune's Pharrell and Chad Hugo, like a producer writer. And we've helped each other become better musicians and, and, whole, you know what I mean? So he, he is mm-hmm. pretty much on everything that I do nine times out of 10, it's, uh, Danny produced it. So I want to, I want to talk to you about this song you wrote for us. Uh, what is the song called? Um, I, we went with my polar. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know if that was going to be <laughs> acceptable, but I kind of wanted to, I know that a lot of the topic in the, the song was bipolarism and, and stuff like that. So I figured mm-hmm. kind of wanted to make it like, personal for I guess the person that um, I'm portraying the song about you know so my polar bipolar and it was kind of play on words uh, feel free if you know if that does not work oh man it's oh dude it's your song okay yeah so it's I mean, whatever you want yeah yeah uh, my polar was just something that I kind of thought it sounded cool and plus wanted to kind of like I said piggyback off of that making it personal so in your own words what was this confession about to me I feel like the confession was about um, somebody that was kind of shaking up their comfort zone a little bit, wanted to go somewhere and do something really good for just like the greater good and got over there and um, found out some things that they didn't really know about themselves or, you know, might have not known so much about and just kind of continuing to persist and and get through it and not letting the challenges of those things hinder you, you know, and just keeping going and, and really being okay with not being okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. That's what it was kind of about for me. And just some of that stuff would hit really home, uh, really close to home. So yeah, it was kind of easy to write that, especially with the story, uh, y'all's conversation and, and that made it easier, but it was also something that I kind of know a little bit about too. So, uh, how do you know? I mean, and I guess to be specific, I mean, this this woman found out she was bipolar, yeah. very far away from home. How, how is it? How do you relate with that? What's your experience with that? So I have um, some experience with depression, man. Um, a little while back, I was diagnosed with depression, and I've been taking medicine for depression for some years now, and it's it's pretty low dosage, nothing crazy, but um, yeah, no, it's it's. It's something that not too many people know about and haven't really told anyone, but it's, uh, yeah. So like, it's, it was real easy for me to, I mean, not necessarily, I haven't gone through any of the, the things that she had mentioned, but, uh, I know what it's like to, to have a mental illness and, and not really know how to talk to people or when to talk to people or, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't really lost any friends because of it. And I was listening to that part, but it's just something that I, I know what it's like to bring it to your family. And then the part about the, Hey mom, Hey dad, I called them. And, um, mm-hmm. I was speaking from straight heart. You know what I mean? Like I was using her part from the story, but like I've called my parents and been like, Hey, I'm kind of feeling weird and, and anxious. So, um, yeah, man, that stuff just came kind of naturally. Yeah. I, I used to have pretty, pretty crippling anxiety for a long time i i i ended up kind of going to therapy because i was having i was having panic attacks and they were like uh they would last for 
like 16, like I would stay up all night and then just go to work the next day kind oh, of wow. thing. So I, I, I will say that for me with this con- confessor, you know, part of what I was really relating to is like uh, that feeling that she described, mm-hmm. that I thought she described really well, which is where you're a little scared of what your mind can do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something, I mean, that to me is the, the real evil of um, mental illness is that where is where your mind can kind of turn on you, turn on For your sure. intentions, turn on, on whatever it is you feel like is your, you know, like your core Absolutely. you. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think you did a pretty amazing job <laughs> of capturing that feeling right in the song i really i really tried that's really what i wanted to do man um yeah i really wanted to drive home the your brain just is the strongest muscle you know what i'm saying like if if your brain says it long enough you're gonna start thinking so um i appreciate you you acknowledging that man i tried i tried my best to do so your your song feels like uh uh i don't mean this to sound so sappy but it 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 sounds like a hug for the confessor. Man, like you, awesome. you captured there. Yeah, that's that's, and I mean that in a good way. I, no, I, I take it in a good way for sure. That's beautiful. I'm curious about your your influences. It seems like you guys, uh, and maybe I should speak about you and uh, uh, Danny, but it's Danny, right? Your producer? yes, Danny. Yeah. It seems like you and Danny uh, draw from all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, what were some things you guys were talking about and referencing when you were working together? So we listened to this interview together and mm-hmm. he had some ideas like a skeleton beat that he had been working on. And he thought it was going to be kind of cool to be talking about heavy stuff, but kind of make it feel light and airy. Because if you listen, I mean, the, the music is like, uh, well, when he played it, the first thing I told him was it kind of has like an island vibe, kind of like a... Uh, not not reggaeton, but kind of like a just a dance hall kind of feel, mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to play off of that, you know, kind of being bipolar, like talking about something that's kind of heavy, but the the, the music is makes you want to dance, like it it sounds kind of like a pop song, mm-hmm. but we're talking about like mental illness, so that was something that we when he played it, I was like, bro, this is perfect, this is perfect because it, it also plays into that and the metaphor of of being bipolar and being up one minute and being down the next minute, you know? So, uh, um, yeah. that was definitely some inspiration for that song. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to say things that when people say these things to me, it annoys the shit out of me, but I'm just going to go for it. And you let me know <laughs> okay. if, if, if I'm at all accurate. Okay. I'm good. So <laughs> I'm really, really, really into your song mile. Okay. Like I, I really, I'm really into the song and I've been forcing it on my loved ones uh, all summer. <laughs> Thank um, you. So on the chorus, I think the chorus is is super strong. You do this little vocal lilt thing, uh-huh. and it reminds me a little bit of Nate Dogg and a little bit of Bootsy Collins. And I was just, I don't know if that if if you know what I'm referring to, but I guess my question is, am I crazy for hearing that? No, you are not crazy for hearing that because <sighs> I think Nate. So if I had to say one person, well, maybe not one, but. The person I feel like my voice most resembles would probably be Nate Dogg. And I love Nate Dogg. He's by far the 
Cook King, especially in in hundred percent hip hop genre. Like he's a he's an R.I.P. man. Dude's a legend. So he, that he is he is West Coast hip hop from the nineties. To me, he is yeah exactly absolutely. So no, that is not far off at all. And Bootsy is the first musician that I was ever introduced to as a child. So um, the damn. The, the really boots, I, you know, dude, you hit the nail on the head with both <laughs> of those. Like, so, yeah, no, yeah. spot on. So with Bootsy Collins, that's someone you grew up listening to? Oh, my goodness, dude. I, I could recite Flashlight before I knew my ABCs. Like, that's fucking um, awesome. Dude, my, my dad was a huge funk. He, you know, he grew up, he was 20 in the 70s. So he yeah. grew up listening to all them guys, Parliament. George Clinton and literally any funk band that you can think of, I probably have an old dusty record that he's passed down for me, uh, to me. And yes, just ingrained in me, man. His voice also just like instantly makes me smile. Like I hear Bootsy Collins just talking and like, oh my God. Oh, uh, Baba Dabba Bubba. Yeah, just, just, just (laughs) Bootsy, man. You don't even know how else to describe it, but Bootsy. You just have to say it's Bootsy for sure. (laughs) <laughs> who are some other artists that you grew up like that you didn't have a choice to listen to that your parents played for you or your siblings but that you draw influence from today Ooh, so bootsy for sure um my mom dude shade was playing in my house 24 7 shade uh, uh 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 my mom loved rick james um, okay. my mom, I can hear that. Yeah. My mom's a little bit younger than my dad. So she, she was born in the sixties, but Rick James, um, uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays, dude, we could not go on a road trip and not hear Frankie Beverly. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Austin. Um, you grew up in Austin. Okay. I grew up here. What, what artists are you, are you forcing on your kids? Um, what are your kids listening to? Number one, Prince. Prince is the number one. Yeah artists like i i named my son's middle name is prince so he doesn't have a choice like you look he's gonna follow you for the rest of your life you know what i'm saying <laughs> i'm a massive prince oh, fan we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that yeah. here and here so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, i look at purple rain and i listen to the, the records and i i think the thing that just blows my mind the most about the guy is the amount of music that was inside of this i mean man Bro, it sounds like we could talk about this for 17 hours, but, but <laughs> for so long, that's what I'm saying. But, but so long. I will say that like my, my, no matter how bleak it has gotten over the last six months. And I mean, starting with the, I'm worried that me and my loved ones are going to get sick to how the fuck am I going to make mm-hmm. a living to our society is crumbling. Everything that has happened in the last six months, my pure joy place is listening to that Prince demo of I Feel For You, the acoustic one. Oh, Dude, man. I can, it's so it's good. just the sound of a fucking 18 year old kid who's insanely talented, having so much fun with himself. Right. You know, he's making yeah. that acoustic, he's just making that <laughs> yeah. acoustic demo just like rocking out with him and his fucking fantasies <sighs> and his music ideas. Like that thing is pure yeah. joy. I love it. It's yeah. amazing, man. 18 years old. I Like, dude, when I was 18, I couldn't write for yeah. shit. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I thought I could, but I couldn't write for shit yeah. at 18. And this dude is just putting out stuff that could come out literally yeah. right now and s- still sound relevant. So, yeah, the yeah. dude is just unreal talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this dude was the coolest, man. I don't think you got yeah, cool. No, I agree with you on that one. Uh, 
So, do you have a yeah. sense that any of your kids are going to be musicians? My daughter, she's the oldest. My daughter's six. My son is four. And she's a, she's going to be a singer. If she decides mm-hmm. to do music, she's going to be right a singer. Man, she just has that. Uh, of course, every parent thinks their kid can sing. But it's just she 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 can belt. Man, I don't know if she can necessarily figure out, has necessarily figured out how to sing yet. But like her range and then when they play and she, she just, wow, she just has that vocal dynamic mm-hmm. ability. You know, now whether that is turned into singing, I don't know, but she definitely has the pipes for sure. Uh, my son, I always said he was going to be the drummer. Um, he's just as always beating on shit and he's rough. So you, and he's a got boy. Like a whole man. family he's, band he's that you're boy. playing. It sounds- <laughs> yeah. So I hope, I, I always tell my, my wife, man, I said, I hope, I hope Prince is, is the drummer. And if, if not, cool. Like I, I was never, music was never mm-hmm. forced on me. A lot of, we love sports in my family. And I thought until about ninth grade, I was going to be a football player. And, um, I always told my dad, I was like, man, if I don't do music, I want to do sports. If I don't do sports, I want to do music. But it was something that was never shoved down my throat. Like, my father played football in college, and I love football. But when I told him I didn't want to play football anymore, yeah. hey, man, I don't want you to do anything that you don't want to do. So that's how I'm approaching it with my kids. I'm going to give them the the tools, and I hope that they want to do music. But if they don't, hey, man, it's cool to just appreciate and just enjoy yeah. listening. That's okay, too. Um I, but of course, I I'm curious for you, man. You know, it, it seems like in the Austin music scene uh, over the last three or four months, uh, definitely since in, in the wake of uh, the killing of George Floyd, but in particular, I think what followed from that, um, there's been a real reckoning in this town that, you know, a lot of the gatekeepers are white and a lot of them have been called out like justly as as basically not giving opportunities to artists of color. Um, And I'm curious, I mean, do you feel like there's a big, there's a difference or is it hard to tell because we're all locked at home? Man, I I feel, I feel like it's a, it's a, we still got work to do. And by no means am I saying we're out of the woods and everything is straight. But like you said, people are, the cancel culture in 2020 is real. And I feel like, like you said, a lot of the gatekeepers are feeling this, like they have to, to rectify some of the things that have been going on mm-hmm. for a while, you know, like years. Um, so when, when I got to be artist of the month for KGS in July, I was like, wow. That's something I literally have been working on for, for years. And, and yes, we just put out an EP. Yes, it was showing some different sounds that we had done. Yes, it was a perfect storm, but I don't think our music was any worse last year, you know? Yeah. So I felt like, I felt like that was a direct impact from that. Also with me kind of deserving it. So I don't, I'm not going to say it was all just them trying to rectify but I, I do feel like that did play um a part of it and then this month the month after mine august was another black artist who got artist of the month uh, jay wild mm-hmm. so um and like i said man i don't feel like these aren't deserving artists i feel like jay wild deserved it just as much as i did mm-hmm. um but 
you you are starting to see some opportunities that maybe wouldn't have been given pre, you know, pre-reckoning. I guess my next question is like, where do you want to go from here? Like, what's next for you? You're gonna you you're obviously we're gonna put this song out, but you making another EP? You want to make a single? So I have a couple um, collaborative records with a few artists around. Um, I have one full EP with a cat named Deezy Brown, who's a local Austin rapper. He's dope. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a semi-finished. EP with another hip hop cat named Jay Soldier. Um, I have a few singles. Um, I, I noticed with how well this Lloyd Pack EP did, I think that it might be singles and EPs from here on for a while, you know, cause, uh, last year we put out the Moonlit Mornings record and the year before that was the Jake Lloyd LP and those were both like nine track LPs, you know, and, uh, yeah. they did well. They have some really good songs on there. The, Daily Interlude, which is, I think, probably our most hot song, um, has done well from that record. But this really, this Lloyd Pack EP with Crossroading and Smoke and Mirrors in the past, it's just surpassed. And it's like seven minutes long, you know? So yeah. I think from here, uh, for the recent foreseeable future, man, I think we will probably be doing uh, singles. And we're... Supposed to be trying to get a, a song out here in the next couple months. I, I don't even want to say dates because I'm not 100% sure, but it definitely will. I want to put out more music. I want to, I just kind of want to continue to be that face for like, hey, hip hop, R&B, the urban scene, I guess, and just show the momentum and show like, hey, look, we can do this shit. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... Me, I'm gonna speak for me. What I want, I want to work just as much with the black artists as I do with non-black artists. Like I don't, it's not just a rap thing for me. I want to show people, I want to do it all, man. I can write anything. Let's do it. You want to work on some Americana shit? Let's do that because I listen to everything and I love everything. So I don't want to be. My biggest thing is don't pigeonhole me, please. That's yeah. That's something I've worked very hard to not be is pigeonholed. So. Um, I just want to ride the momentum of crossroading, which has showed people like, okay, shit. I mean, I guess he is a rapper, but he's not a, you know? So, um, I just really want to go off of that and show people the range, like the ability of, and I'm not the only one. I'm, there's not only one Jake Lloyd. There's a whole bunch of Jake Lloyds. Yeah. And, you know, in Austin or in around. So that's what I want to be an advocate for. Well, hey, thank you so much for, for being part of this. Thank you, man. And maybe if our entire country doesn't collapse, uh, we'll see each other out uh, sometime soon. That'd be awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. The the conversation was easy, smooth, man. So I appreciate it. And you know, you know what I feel like was the saddest part of that whole story is when she talked about having to lie at the ER to get help and to get anybody to kind of notice her or believe her in a way I just thought that was so fucked up that we have a system that you can you could walk in saying I'm aware I have this issue and I need help and somehow that's not good enough I mean I guess I, I this is the only system I've ever really known you know but uh, it does seem wild that you have to be that calculated in order to get the care you need or yeah. deserve 
totally. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of one of our early episodes with Husky Loops when they were talking about the you know the Italian version when somebody's having an episode. It's like, oh, we just. We just take them to the doctor and it's like there's a system in place and they understand mental health and they recognize mental health issues and they yeah. give that person the help they need. I think what Daniel said was uh, there's a problem with his brain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, totally. And I mean, just the fact that there's a there's a societal discourse that allows that reaction. There's a problem with his brain. Well, when here in America, it's like there's just you're just wrong there's just something wrong with you it's not that there's this problem that we could potentially fix it's you're not normal you're not okay go deal with it how we don't know we don't care figure it out you know it just seems like that's kind of the attitude we have this strong arm mentality of like i don't know we we contend we condemn people for seeking help we condemn people for not seeking help and when you hear stories like this of someone that is very aware of her issue and tries to seek help in a normal way and gets denied and has to lie to get the help she needs. I don't know. It's just so disheartening. I don't even yeah. know if I have a point to make. It's just, just like, fuck. Yeah. It's sad. It's just really sad. I, it, it did get edited down somewhat from, uh, the original conversation, but you know, one thing about her confessor's experience is such a roller coaster ride that I, I've known quite a few people have gone through, which is finding the right, medicine cocktail to to manage it. I've heard that word used a lot too. And that story is the right Mm -hmm. cocktail. It's always like this trial and error of which one is going to make you feel good. And there's so many terrible side effects. Like she was, she was sharing of Mm -hmm. weight gain. And sometimes it makes you more depressed. And especially when you, you see these commercials for antidepressants and there's like a possibility of suicide. Like, isn't that the thing that you're trying to avoid? Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. But uh, there, there are some, some advancements in that area these days. Um, a couple years ago, my wife, uh, she had H. pylori, which is a, a gut infection. After that, we learned, long story short, that destroying your gut biome really affects your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, our mood is based in our gut in a large way. Um, and so she uh, was, it was recommended that she get on some antidepressants for a little while. And she took this test called the Genomind that is basically a mental health mapping. And it gives you a readout of the types of SSRIs that can be most effective for you. And then on the contrary, the ones that could negatively affect you. Um, and it's based on your, your genome, essentially. And the chances are that this statistically, it avoids a lot of that guinea pig process of just like, here, try this one. If it makes you feel like shit, we'll try a different one. And if that one makes you feel like shit, you know, there's these other ones and we'll just keep doing that forever until maybe one will make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll put a link for that in the episode notes. One thing I kept thinking about, uh, while making this episode, um, was this moment when I was a teenager and I had like my first real full scale panic attack. And I mean, like can't catch my breath, like trembling, stay up for 16, you know, stay up all night kind of thing. Couldn't keep a thought in my head to save my life. And if I was thinking the things we think were all just terrible and negative, it was just Mm -hmm. crazy intense anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I remember coming downstairs and, and my dad was not, affectionate at all but like he just saw me and like hugged me you know totally not understanding what was going on with me but just in that moment feeling so safe yeah 
you know, even as my, as my, as I was having this very intense, terrible thing go on, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just kept thinking while making this episode, how the confessor are one of the factors that has let her manage her bipolar disorder so well, maybe unlike the guy in our first episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. whose family was in denial and didn't want to believe it was true because it made it seem like their son wasn't perfect. Who was yeah, and who was getting diagnosed in his mid thirties. Yeah, much later in life, which means you've diagnosed in your thirties doesn't mean you became bipolar. In Absolutely, your 30s. it means no, you're that right. you've been going unchecked for a long time, having these moments, having these things, and nobody even aware of it. And and his fiance, I mean, I'm sh- I believe they were deeply, deeply in love. Yeah. But you haven't known him that long. Yeah. You know, so she's doing all she can do. You know, I mean, it's, uh, to get back to this confessor and it's the same thing with, with Jake, you know, I mean, when he told his family that he's struggling with anxiety or depression and, and he has that support network, Yeah, you know, it's it so, so crucial. Much. It's yeah. so crucial. It, it really is the difference or the key factor is not just someone to call, but like, genuine closeness with other people yeah you know and that is it that's such a huge huge fucking factor in so many of society's ills when you are in that mental state just having people that care about you that that don't make you feel like there's something wrong with you yeah that that embrace you even in that moment for who you are and still show you that love and, and show you that concern and that care mm-hmm. and open their hearts to you is like, I, I think that there's probably something that carries with you when you're out of that manic state and just being aware, even if you don't remember the moment, just knowing that when you weren't yourself, the people that love you still loved you and still took care of you and mm-hmm. were still there for you and tried to help, help you yeah. figure it out, you know? when you're experiencing true mania, you can't access that. Yeah. But just to have fucking people close to you who really know what's going on. I mean, the, the homeless situation in Austin has become so much more acute and visible, mm-hmm. at least on our side of town. Absolutely. I mean, there are homeless camps everywhere, everywhere. And it's so, it's so, so sad for me to see because it's so easy to to see a homeless person, I think, and think about how um, things have happened in their lives to lead to them being there. But then to just zoom out and think about how our city or our state or our country has failed. Yeah, these society people. has failed them. I mean, I mean, l- literally during the pandemic, we've uh, across the nation have rented out motels. Mm-hmm. to house the homeless could have done that before yeah right why why did that have to happen because hotels were losing money like that's the reason it happened is because hotels were losing money not because somebody just decided to help the homeless i and i think about when we go and sign up for healthcare, and they ask me what my uh what my income is every year mm-hmm so in Texas, we didn't extend Medicare benefits to zero, which means you have to make a basic amount of income to qualify for Medicare benefits. So just to put that in perspective, you have to make 
basically at the poverty line. So you have to make around $20,000 a year in order to get health care. So it means if you make less than that, you don't qualify for health insurance. I think it's 12000 I think it's seventeen. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You actually are twelve thousand. Yeah, but still, either way, but there's still, so yeah. okay. So the thing, the situation I always run into, uh, and I am not a crook, is that I run a business because of this band thing, and I pay people and I pay myself, and I always have to make sure that I make above twelve thousand dollars on paper, so I can get health insurance. Yeah, just. Just think that over in your mind. That's so fucking crazy. It, there's the, there's so many like little rules and implications along the way that are literally nothing but barriers to entry. And it's so hard to look yeah. at it as at anything besides that. It's like, why would we deny the the poorest people, the people in the most need? Exactly. We're saying, oh, you're not poor and, enough for help or you're be, too poor for well, help. And to be clear, I'm not one of those people. But I have to make it look on paper, yeah. Like, like I make more than twelve grand a year, and the reason that's hard is just because of the nature of the work I do. There's a lot of work we do. There's a lot of cash. Well, in the before times, there was a lot of cash. Now yeah. there's just nothing. Or but, there's big checks that come in, and then two days later, big checks that go out. So and you it's don't like, know, and yeah. and and sometimes the, I don't always know. I'm gonna pay myself, so it's just the paper trail aspect. Yeah, absolutely. But that can be very hard and stressful, and it's it's just unbelievable to me the the way it sort of. It's like someone fucked up somehow that they don't deserve help and yeah, love. We, we and look care. at it like they somehow failed. It's yeah. a personal failure. It's it's not a societal failure. It's not a, it's not circumstantial. It's mm-hmm. not family based. Like your traumas don't matter. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh well, you failed, so you're homeless. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. The Song Confessional theme song was written by me, Walker Lukens. It was performed by myself, Zach Catanzaro, James Wesley Essery, and engineered and mixed by Grant Epley. The Song Confessional podcast was produced by Walker Lukens, myself, Zach Catanzaro, Jim Eno, Aaron Blackerby, Rylan Kettery, and Mike Lee. It was also brought to you by KUTX. My Polar was written by Jake Lloyd and produced by DS2. If you guys enjoy this podcast... We tend to ask you to tell a friend, to write reviews, to give us some likes, to subscribe, and I'm going to continue that trend. Tell a friend, give us some reviews, rate us, subscribe. Thank you so much to Jake Lloyd for being part of this. 